When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Thursday night. It is 8 p.m. Central. It is time for Thursday Night Tide here on the YouTube and podcast homes. For BamaOnline.com, Travis Ryer alongside fellow BOL staffer Clint Lamb. Clint, we're going to be doing the duo tonight. No Jimmy Stein had some things to take care of. We certainly understand that. We'll miss Jimmy, but we'll certainly have plenty to cover over the next 45 minutes to an hour of the program. And of course, we certainly invite those of you watching to chime in as well. If you have questions or comments, we'll get to those on the program. First and foremost, though, Clint, good to talk to you again. Yeah. How you doing tonight, Travis? Hanging in there, man. I've got the, uh, I got the double box on right now. I've got Louisville, Virginia, which isn't exactly a thriller up in Louisville. The cards are up 14 to nothing over the Cavs at the half. And then a little more competitive game, though, with USM in Louisiana. So a uh, couple of football games keeping an eye on. And of course, Bryce Young taking on the Chicago Bears tonight, right? Yeah, that's uh, he's had a pretty rough go of it, that offense, man. I really wish they could have gotten him a receiver before the trade deadline, somebody maybe long-term, because they're guys, I mean, all of them. I don't really think they have anybody in that offense, really, that can create separation consistently. So. He's had a, a rough rookie season as far as being introduced to the NFL, but I still think he's got a bright future. So just got to continue to, you know, stay, remain calm. Yeah, as best he can. And look, the society we live in today, we've already gone ahead and decided that, you know, CJ Stroud should have been the first pick, not Bryce Young, right? I mean, we we have enough data, obviously, to go ahead and make that assertion. Forget about as you said, pieces around the quarterback position, which can be kind of important. Ask Mac Jones about that uh, with the New England Patriots. Tua in his first year or two in Miami compared to where he is now. Life can come at you very quick in the NFL at the quarterback position. A lot of times it's totally without, totally outside your realm of control. I mean, remember when we had this debate about Justin Herbert and Tua, right? Everybody said that the, the Dolphins should have taken uh, Justin Herbert, and it was looking like there for a while, mostly due to injury, but it looked like that probably would have been the wiser move. Maybe some people would still prefer Herbert. He's a great quarterback, but uh, a few years in, we're now starting to realize maybe it wasn't as lopsided as far as career outlook is concerned as maybe it once was. So who knows what will happen with Shroud and uh, Bryce. And we talk about the Bears. Look at Justin Fields now. You know, a couple, three years ago, he was a guy that, man, he fell too far in the draft, should have gone maybe number one or uh, at the top of the draft the year he came out. Now, uh, I know he's had an injury uh, of late, but there isn't much buzz about him. So, again, things come and go pretty quickly. Adam Thielen, I guess, for the Panthers, that would be the guy at the wide receiver position. But the, the good news was also the bad news for Bryce. The good news was 
I guess, the Carolina Panthers moved up to take him number one in the draft. The bad news is part of what they gave up to get him was their best receiver. Best it receiver wasn't even close. And future picks. Yeah. Like the stuff you're supposed to be. And that's why I was hoping, you know, maybe a Jerry Judy or someone like that, you could get that young, you know, still has a lot of potential receiver who can create separation, uh, do the things that you would need to do for for Bryce. I, I thought that would have been the move because I don't think he, I mean, I think the uh, Broncos were asking for a first round pick. I thought they'd come off that a little bit, thought maybe a second. Um, but you know, it ended up not happening. And now, you know, where do you go for the solutions in the off season? So I'll be curious to see what the Panthers do. The, we watched the Patriots run in one direction, which was the wrong direction. As far as building around Mac Jones, we watched the dolphins do the right thing and go in the opposite direction, building around Tua. And so what does, uh, Carolina do with Bryce there? And, um, you know, after spent, you know, trading up and spending the number one pick, I'll be curious to see what their off season ends up looking like. Yeah, I wouldn't think you would make that type of investment or take that type of leap not to come back and really try to augment that pick with the pieces around them. That's what we've seen the Dolphins do. Although, if it was up to the previous coaching regime, I, I, I don't think they were all that enamored with Tua. It seems like it took Mike McDaniel going down there to say, look, we've got a quarterback. Let's get some additional pieces around him. And also, what type of ownership group do you have? Is it an aggressive ownership group? Professional football, what's your cap space look like? There's so many variables that go into not only what you want to do, but what you can do on a year-to-year basis. But we're going to talk a lot of college football, as you might expect, on Thursday Night Tide. The Alabama Crimson Tide setting itself up for a road trip at Kentucky. That's an early kickoff on Saturday. Another one of those 11 a.m. kickoffs. That's a couple in the last four games going back to Arkansas uh, earlier uh, or a month ago. So what do you think, Clint? What are some of your biggest concerns for this Alabama team? We did hear from Nick Saban on his coach's show tonight that it doesn't sound good as far as availability where Deontay Lawson and Jalen Key is concerned on the defensive side of the ball. So is is that pretty much where it has to start when you look at this matchup with Ray Davis and Devin Leary and those Kentucky wide receivers? Yeah, you know, it, it's what you worry about with this game is just it's a road environment. It's an 11 a.m. kickoff, a ton of emotion and stuff with LSU. Uh, the, the defense was obviously they were run all over the place. They ended up performing a lot better in the second half. But you're talking just a very strenuous, uh, you know, stressful game for everybody involved, I'm sure. And so you would think there would probably be some sort of, you know, uh, letdown. Does that sustain? Or, I mean, it's possible that they could come out firing on all cylinders. But you would just, this combination of factors, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Offensively, we've kind of learned to expect them to come out a little bit flat. And so if they do something that kind of is, Outside of that, you're you're pleasantly surprised. The defense, they've had some struggles early. Uh, LSU scored a touchdown. Tennessee scored a touchdown on their first drive. So it's not like it's just exclusively the offense, but uh, you you tend to trust the defense a little bit more to get things right. But after, you know, this is a very different offense um, than really they played this past week. Kentucky's going to want to run the football. Just a lot of, you know, 12 personnel, 21 personnel. They're going to have a couple of tight ends or a couple of running backs uh, out there 
very pro style, a lot of play action. They love targeting their slot guys uh, way more than the average team. Um, and, you know, they love running off tackle. They love running outside as much as possible. So it's an interesting offense. You definitely see with Liam Cohen coming back, uh, those pro style principles. They got a guy who can kind of operate that with Devin Leary, even though, you know, he's really struggled to throw the deep ball this year. Um, and you know, I'll be curious to see what he ends up doing on that front. Cause they got some pretty good receivers. Uh, they struggle with drops early in the year, but they've really come on strong the last couple of weeks, as far as cleaning some of that stuff up, how do they choose to attack Alabama's defense? I'll certainly be curious to uh, find out on Saturday. Yeah. Very NFL oriented with Cohen back in there as the coordinator of that Kentucky offense. I watched a little bit of some Kentucky games this week. You know, I thought against Florida, they came out in a lot of 12 personnel, heavy personnel, because they really thought they could push Florida around. And they were right. I mean, they, they right. absolutely gashed Florida with Ray Davis. Now, Georgia, it looked like a little more 11, actually. Maybe played more three wide receivers because you're not going to see Kentucky probably had that much success. Georgia, kind of like Alabama. If you want to play some phone booth football, typically – those defenses at those places, look at LSU in the past under less miles, how that didn't work very well. Uh, the more condensed, the more heavier you wanted to get, the better off Alabama was on the defensive side. So, yeah, that'll be sort of the game within the game. How does Cohen go about attacking this Alabama defense? I think ideally, yeah. If you can get in 12 personnel and just run Ray Davis, you do that until Alabama stops it. But I think Alabama has shown us against running backs, right? Not so much quarterbacks last week when it comes to Jaden Daniels, but against, you know, guys like Jalen Wright, um, you know, guys like, uh, well, you look around at Texas A&M did a good job against those backs for the most part. I think you really have to go back to Mississippi State the last time some running backs put up some numbers of note. And that was also, by the way, the last time Deontay Lawson wasn't in the lineup. That's interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Quinshot and Judkins, I know he wasn't 100%, but he didn't have a whole lot of success. Logan Diggs this past weekend, you know, especially, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, yeah, that's very true. But all their inside run stuff, I will say that's yeah. one thing that Alabama did in that game that I don't think they did a good enough job. You know, if you're going to play one of those dynamic offenses, you don't want to leave the entire, uh, you know, just every avenue in which they can attack you. If, if you've got all these different ways, you got a quarterback that can run, a quarterback that can throw, you got, you know, uh, viable pass catchers, you got, you know, a good quality, you know, traditional run game with your running backs. You don't want to give them the ability to do pretty much all of that at will. You have to take away something and, and try to make them, you know, I wouldn't even say it's one dimensional because they got like 20 different ways they can attack you, but try to limit that as much as possible against Tennessee last year. When Tennessee wanted to run the football, they ran the football. When they wanted to throw the football, they threw the football. And so in this particular game against LSU, as far as stopping the traditional run game and forcing the game on a Jaden Daniels' shoulders, whether it be on his arm or with his legs, they did a pretty good job of that. The problem is, is that Jaden Daniels is a heck of a quarterback, and he responded really well to that prior to getting hurt. So, um, you know, that is something that I will be curious to see if they can continue to do moving forward. But Kentucky just, you know, are, are you – what do you think about their offense? Because as far as the pieces are concerned, when you look individually – their offensive line's pretty good. Uh, it's decent. I, th I don't think it's been quite as good as it kind of looked against, the, uh, you know, in that Florida game. But 
you know, you look at the pass catchers, you look at the running backs. Ray Davis is a heck of a running back. I think he's in the top two or three in the SEC as far as rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. Devin Leary, a veteran quarterback, played a lot of football. You would expect him to, you know, make an impact in this type of game uh, where, you know, it, and the fact that it's not in Bryant-Denny Stadium, that certainly matters. But what do you think about this Kentucky offense? Because for whatever reason, the pieces seem to have been there to be better than they are. Not saying they should be elite, but it just hadn't looked that way on the field. And I thought Cohen coming back, he'd be able to get a little bit more out of these guys. Yeah, I, I think most folks thought with Devin Leary coming in there, the transition would be a little more seamless between he and his receivers. And you kind of talked about it earlier. It hasn't always been Devin Leary. And the, there's been inconsistency with those receivers as well, which is a little bit of a surprise because Tavian Robinson, kind of a proven commodity, Barry and Brown, Dane Key. I mean, we've seen those guys have success in the past. So with all that being said, the most sort of fatalistic Alabama fans are fully expecting Devin Leary to have his Steven Garcia game on Saturday <laughs> at noon or at 11 a.m. Central. But no, I think Alabama matches up just fine with or without Deontay Lawson because you've gotten a lot of work for Jihad Campbell. You've gotten a lot of work for Tez Marshall, Trez Marshall. So it's actually been a silver lining for Alabama. You know, all three of these inside linebackers at some time or another have dealt with injury, but it's always been where they've had two of them pretty much good to go. And that's a big reason why you need to always have at least three ready because in football, you know, injuries are going to happen. And certainly at a position of collision, like inside linebacker, the possibility for that goes up. I'll be interested, Clint, to see, does Alabama just tell those corners, um, you know, if it is Trey Amos that is in there in the nickel, let's say that, let's say Kentucky says, you know what, if we go with 11, we can get Alabama into its nickel and then we get the matchups on Trey Amos. If we go more base personnel, maybe we allow Alabama to go base personnel. And then we got to deal with Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry at the corners. So it's a way to look at that as well. And if Trey Amos is in the game, what I expect, at least early, is they're going to flip it out there in the quick game. Let's see if this guy can set an edge uh, on the corner and, and kind of take away the the, the easy touches from us until we see that he can do that. I, I still think Kentucky believes physicality is the name of the game for it in this matchup, even against Alabama. It just may go about it in some different ways. We think physicality, we think, oh, man, inside run game between the tackles. But a lot of times it involves let's get a good blocking wide receiver on a third corner, and let's see if we can get some some easy chunk plays out of that. Yeah, it's so interesting how you brought up Georgia and and when Kentucky played Georgia because I think you know a lot of times a team is going to be very solid in their belief like we're going to be us. Uh, that was one where they admitted we're not going to out Georgia Georgia like we're not going to be that big physical downhill team or especially offensively that we kind of want to be or or are typically. Uh, and so they kind of conceded that going in, did some things a little differently. And, you know, with that combination of that factor and, you know, you bring up, uh, you know, potentially Trey Amos being out there at corner, you know, that I will be curious to see if that is something that they, a route they choose to take. And this is why you brought in Trey Amos, by the way, like they've yeah. dealt with injuries in the secondary 
And, you know, Amos is a guy who, uh, you know, he was starting at Louisiana. I'm sure he wanted to start at Alabama. He had that opportunity, competed with Terry and Arnold, you know, to his credit. Uh, I mean, it's not like he lost the job to some mediocre corner. He lost to a guy, you know, two potential first round draft picks, upcoming first round draft picks. Uh, so he, he lost to some good players, but he's been involved in the rotation. He's had to play quite a bit as far as the snaps. Jalen Key's been the starter, but Amos and his presence, I mean, could you really imagine? I'm not saying that Antonio Kite or, you know, Des Ricks or any of these other guys, they wouldn't be able to get the job done. Or maybe an Earl Little, you know, at star. Maybe they could leave Arnold out there if, if Trey Amos wasn't available, or they could go some different directions as far as how would they, they would fix things. But Amos being such an experienced player, the fact that this is a road game, the fact that you continue to kind of see injuries in the secondary and you're able to overcome that because you have this kind of depth, uh, you know, Trey Amos and Jalen Key have been two critical pieces. I don't think they got enough recognition when Alabama brought them in from the transfer portal, but they've both proven to be very important pieces. Yeah, you know, Trey Amos uh, in and of himself maybe isn't a versatile player in the Alabama secondary, but his presence allows you to maximize the versatility of others. Having him as a legitimate SEC corner, and I'm not concerned about him, really, if he has to go on Saturday. I, I think we've seen enough to feel like, yeah, this guy belongs, and he's very capable. But bringing him in with the injury you have, really at an entirely different position, kind of frees you up to do a couple of different things in the wake of that with Terry and Arnold at star with Malachi able to go to from star to safety and solidify things there in the nickel package. So yeah, a couple of different ways to look at that whole scenario potentially on Saturday. I, I think it all starts with, and I'll make it sound as simple as possible. I know we're sort of nuts and bolts people here. We like to get granular on Thursday night tide. It, it's a lot of fun, and it's it's interesting to watch it play out in games. Uh, but tackling Ray Davis is where it starts for me on Saturday. And you know, Ray Davis, not trying to make the guy sound like Jim Brown or you know a Heisman Trophy winner, but he's good within and outside the scheme. You know, in other words, if they block it right, he's like every other back. He's going to do some good things. But even if Kentucky doesn't block it right, he can bounce it to the outside. He can cut it back uh, weak side and cause you some problems. So we're going to talk about linebackers, Jihad Campbell, Tresman, Marshall, those guys. But it's really going to be on all 11 to pretty much take care of their individual duties. You can't get outside of your box too much because there's a chance this guy could be coming back to you or out to you. Well, and. I don't think it's an exact match. And so I want to, you know, in fact, I would probably say that Ray Davis is like a poor man's version to a degree, but in, in a lot of ways, whether you talk about height, weight, 5'10", 216 pounds, that's the exact height and weight that Josh Jacobs was his last season at Alabama. Uh, you, you start going over the bullet points of both players and strengths and, you know, you know, what makes them tick, what makes them successful. The suddenness, you know, they kind of got a different gear in the open field. They're very shifty. They're very elusive. It's very, very, they're very difficult to tackle. Good receivers out of the backfield. But because of that low center of gravity and the fact they got some power, they're able to, you know, churn out some yardage after contact. They can be an inside runner. They can be, you know, an outside runner. They can do a lot of different things for you. And so 
you know, for Alabama fans, probably are a lot, obviously you're going to be a lot more familiar with Josh Jacobs. He's not that first round caliber player, in my opinion, which is why I say he's a poor man's. But I don't, I don't, I also think poor man's is kind of disrespectful to a degree because he's, he's a, he's a really good player and he's going to be Kentucky is kind of Devin Leary plays a lot of his stuff off of the run game. Like it's, it's designed around the run. And I will be curious because, you know, Tim Keenan's playing some good football right now. Justin Aboyby playing some really good football. Otis on limited snaps. Tim Smith. All these different guys, these interior defensive linemen, they're playing great right now. And you've got the two, you know, outside linebackers who are getting all the praise and stuff, and they're playing good football. I think they're setting the edge better uh, than maybe they have in years past. But really, it's working to that second level. Jihad Campbell and Trez Marshall. What do they look like? Can Kendrick Blackshire get back involved? I mean, I think, you know, there's been some rumors that maybe he's been a little bit banged up, uh, but he was a guy who was involved. So you talk about losing loss, and really you've had three different guys that could play some snaps outside of him. And so, you know, just imagine where they would be if they didn't have that depth. Absolutely. Garrison Blaylock checking in here in the comments. You can do that as well on our YouTube chat box there uh, on the show page. I was surprised at 11-point spread at first, but Kentucky could really even be ranked. Close loss to Tennessee and a two-TD lead blown to Missouri. Only Georgia wasn't close. It's true, Garrison. You know, I talked about this in your predictions piece that you do for us each and every week there at Bama Online, Um, Clint, that, you know, when I think of Mark Stoops, Kentucky, I kind of think of Mississippi State under Dan Mullen just solid football teams year in and year out, going to make it to a bowl game. It might be Memphis, you know, it might be Nashville. It might not always be a Florida bowl, but year in and year out for a program at that tier of the SEC about the as good as you could hope for, realistically. I mean, you think of Dan Mullen to get Mississippi State to the number one ranking in the country like he did in 2014, whatever we want to say about the job he did at Florida, that's a pretty, pretty hellacious legacy to leave at Mississippi State. So, um, you know, I, I think that with this Kentucky team, I'll be surprised if they don't make Alabama beat them. You know, I don't I just don't see Kentucky with the way they play, even defensively how they play. Kind of like LSU last week. They'll play a little zone, they'll play zone. Um, but it's going to be a more connected zone. It, it almost seemed like LSU last week was in this defense that was more of a hope that Alabama would like trip over the 20 yard line on the way into the end zone. And then maybe we can get a stop and force some field goals. Uh, but Kentucky is who they are on defense and they play it pretty well. Yeah, they're so good at stopping the inside run. You know, they got a big front, they play a lot of zone defensively. Uh, and I'll, Alabama has been predominantly, they want to run inside. That's kind of their bread and butter. They'll do some outside stuff. I think they're, you're going to see more outside stuff on Saturday than maybe we've seen because I feel like that's where Kentucky is most vulnerable. Um, but yeah, I, the, the Kentucky's defense is very underrated. Uh, I'm not saying it's elite by any means. I'm not saying it's great, but it's a solid defense. They're going to have that home crowd at their backs. Uh, you would hope that the fact that it's an 11 a.m. kickoff, the energy isn't as much there as it would be at 2.30 or 6 p.m. or whatever, and maybe that home field advantage won't be quite as strong as it would be at, in some other time slots, but it, they're going to be loud because, I mean, this can define your season. I mean, think about it. If Kentucky beats Alabama, 
They're seven and three. Their three losses are to Tennessee, to Missouri, and to Georgia. Uh, three top, you know, twenty teams. It's very possible that they're right back there in the top twenty-five if they were able to pull an upset, and that completely with where things were kind of trending in the, and especially after that Georgia game where they were completely run off the field. That was in Athens, by the way. Uh, you know, it's it, it. It's like Nick Saban said on the Pat McAfee show earlier. Uh, when you're trying to climb the mountain and you're able to do it a couple times, you start to become the mountain. And for a lot of these teams, I mean, they've had Alabama circled on the schedule for a while. Kentucky, I'm sure, wasn't able to get the job done against Georgia, but beating Alabama and 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 you know David versus Goliath, they're certainly going to have that mentality. And they're going to ha- one thing about it, I don't think they're going to be intimidated. I don't think a Mark Stoops team is going to you know beat themselves before you even step on the field. And so it will be an interesting matchup, and just the other circumstances with just the potential for. The emotional letdown after last week, everybody's singing their praises, especially the offense. Uh, you know, I could totally see it being a little bit of a, a slow, sluggish start. And it's just a matter of how do they respond to that. And one thing Nick Saban has also said is they have responded well, you know, to adversity and the challenges, and they've stepped up when they needed to. And so even if they don't get off to a hot start, you have to feel confident in their ability to do that because they've done it several times this year. Yeah, we know Alabama week in and week out is going to get whatever shot an opponent can give it, they're going to get it. Alabama's going to get it. But, you know, Alabama has a sense of urgency this week, trying to go ahead and wrap up that berth in the SEC championship game. So I would expect Kentucky is going to get Alabama's best shot on Saturday morning as well. You know, this is a series, too. Alabama is just absolutely dominated. 38-2-1, the 41 games between these two teams. Clint, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but the last time Kentucky beat Alabama, I was there. It was 1997, Commonwealth Stadium, before it became the supermarket, Kroger Field. Uh, Tim Couch at quarterback. I don't know if that even rings a bell. How mummy your head coach at Kentucky. I was on the top row at Commonwealth Stadium that night and watched from up there as it was a goalpost game, as you might expect, for the Kentucky fan base after knocking off the Crimson Tide in overtime. Speed RTR checking in here. Perhaps not an analytical question, but does Alabama need a victory over an undefeated Georgia to be selected, or can Georgia drop a game yeah that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I do think it's a question on the mind of a lot of folks uh certainly the college football playoff committee uh in some form or fashion is maybe already giving that one some thought I guess the short answer for me Clinton you kind of chime in with what you think as well I think I think Alabama would need Georgia to be undefeated right now as we sit here who the heck knows, though, what's going to happen? I don't think Florida State's going to lose at home to Miami Saturday, but I've seen some crazier things happen as we get into mid and later November. As Nick Saban has said, the the, the more you go up the mountain, the thinner the air gets. And, and I don't think you can just take for granted how some teams are going to react to that as they get closer and closer to that CFP finish line. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Ole Miss no longer controls its own destiny, but, you know, knocking off Georgia 
and then you know Alabama potentially stumbling. I mean, it, it's still a very real possibility in their minds. So they're going to get Georgia's going to get their best game. I think, you know, obviously Alabama's best win right now is a top 10 Ole Miss team. They lose to Georgia. They're going to drop a couple of spots. I don't think they would drop too far. Uh, well, I guess it depends on the score and how the game looks. But so in the short term, it would kind of hurt your resume a little bit. But I would 10 to 1 rather see that uh, and and because the short term doesn't really matter. Um, I would rather see Alabama go to the SEC championship when everything's on the line, Georgia's riding high. If they can crawl up to number one. That would be even better. Um, and, you know, maybe beating an Ole Miss team this weekend would help them jump an Ohio State potentially because their schedule exactly hadn't been strong, but they've, they're starting to push through it a little bit and are stacking some pretty tough opponents. Um, but I think, so Georgia, I would probably say the the more beneficial route would be for them to be undefeated going in. Uh, if you're an Alabama fan, you can find it in yourself this weekend. I will say, uh, probably need to be a Tennessee fan over Missouri, right? I would think so. Yeah. Um, anything that can help your resume, right? Whoever you've beaten or played to this point, you want to do especially well. And it was kind of a blow to Alabama last week when Texas, it looked like, was about to take the gas at home against Kansas State, that did not happen. And then you look at what's remaining for Texas, and Alabama's not getting around that roadblock if it plays out to chalk from this point forward. And that's not guaranteeing uh, an undefeated finish for Texas from this point forward. Again, you just don't know how some teams are going to respond, especially ones that haven't been in this situation before. Uh, but Garrison also wants to talk about that. He says, can we talk about why the committee has Oregon ahead of us when we have a clearly better resume? Seven of Oregon's nine opponents are non-bowl teams. That drew a lot of interaction and conversation a couple of nights ago, I guess, Clint. I mean, what? Um, do you got a better answer than me, Travis? Because I, I don't want... I, here's, here's a theory, okay? A theory of mine is... And I, and I know there's talk about representation on the committee and, and all those things. I think some of it, too, is a lot of people, not just – and it's the committee's job to, to not do this, but I think Alabama, after the loss to Texas, lose by 10 at home, then look absolutely miserable on the road at USF, and then kind of just wobble through some games. I think there's some committee members are just – people in general that need to circle back and revisit this Alabama team because it feels like after September or at the end of September, a lot of folks said, well, this isn't that Alabama team. We go ahead and check them off, X them out. And now we get into mid-November and they look a lot like some previous Alabama teams that have played in college football playoffs. That's, that's just a theory. And also there was so much Pac-12 hype in September. Remember the Colorado Buffaloes? Does anybody remember CU and Prime and all of that buzz? Oh, yes. And deservedly so. If we were going to play a college football playoff at the end of September, hell, the Pac-12 might have had at least two teams in it, Clint. But we play it it in late December, January. We don't play it in late September, early October. You know, Maybe the committee 
at halftime of the Ole Miss game was just over Alabama. Maybe that maybe they've checked out since then. They saw the Texas, they saw the USF, they saw snaps going over people's heads on the one yard line. They see complete dysfunction offensively, and then they they didn't even get to the second half. They said, "I I've seen what I need to see from Alabama this year." It it does feel that way uh, to a certain extent because. And I understand the argument for for Texas. I mean, they got the head-to-head win. They go into Bryant-Denny Stadium, and it's a double-digit victory. I mean, it's hard to argue against those things. But we also, you know, it's difficult, too, because anybody, head-to-head has to matter, and it has to matter quite a bit. But anybody can admit to you, is Alabama the same team they were the second week of the season? It's Texas the same team they were in the second. I would say Texas is a lot closer, but Alabama has continued to get better. And we knew they had a lot of things to figure out. They had a lot of moving pieces on the offensive line. They had new starters. They were breaking in a new quarterback. They didn't know who their quarterback was going to be. They had two new coordinators. I mean, what you saw from them early on, uh, maybe you shouldn't have seen it to the extent. I don't care how rough things are. You shouldn't be you know, struggling against USF uh, in week three. Uh, so that's an argument, obviously, that's going to go against Alabama. But as they've started to figure some of th- these things out, you got to take into account, okay, you know, what has Texas done since? What has Alabama done since? And the head-to-head is certainly going to matter. I don't think you're really going to make an argument that is able to get yourself out of that situation. But if this would have happened in week seven or week eight or week nine or something like that, I would be a lot more on board. It's unfortunate. But it's, you know, it's it's the same, it's not the same situation, but it's the same conversation where it's like, you could look last year and say that Alabama was the better team compared to TCU, but the resume had to matter and what happened in the games had to matter. And in this situation, it's kind of the same thing. If you're looking at the end of the year and you're saying, well, I think Alabama is better than Texas. I really do. You still, the committee is not going to, going to ignore what happened. And that's why, you know, it's unfortunate because it's almost, I mean, at this point, Travis, you're being punished for playing some of these games. Yeah, it feels like you'd almost need Oklahoma to lose a couple more games and diminish uh, the Texas loss at that point. Then you're playing the game of uh, worse loss, which if you're Alabama and Texas is sitting there with one loss after the Big 12 championship game, you're going, see, our loss was actually pretty good. But then I guess you could say, well, you lost to a team that lost to an Oklahoma team. It just is never ending here's my advice for Alabama fans relax as best you can be passionate you know get into it stay into it but just want your team to win win out from here and then I I think you might be surprised by some things that'll still happen you know I think back to 2011 and you got into kind of mid-October and you wondered if Alabama had a path after losing that game to LSU in Tuscaloosa earlier in the season. And I'm talking about we were getting into about the, the, the weekend before the Iron Bowl late in the regular season. And this is when there was the BCS. So there was two spots, not four, you know, and, and craziness ensued. Now, can you count on that each and every year? I, I don't know, but uh, it seems like we've seen it more often than not. Just win your games and if you dominate all the better but just win that's that's what it's about right now for Alabama Dean Cloud on here I'm more worried about the Auburn game than this Kentucky game I guess this is wrong things 
happen when Weird. Alabama plays in Auburn. The Auburn boogeyman making an appearance sure. on Tuesday night tide. Check under your beds, kids. I'm pretty sure Miss Terry's more worried about Auburn too, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, that was an interesting th- storyline. They're both interesting because, you know, Alabama will have played UT Chattanooga the week before. Won't have that same type of emotional game. More than likely, they won't come out hot. Um, and Nick Saban will have a lot to scream about. And But you'll be have a chance to maybe get some guys healthy. Uh, now, granted, Hugh Freeze and, and Jordan Hare Stadium and the rivalry factor, you combine all those three things, obviously it's it's a much tougher game than people realize. And, and Alabama won't get credit if they go on the road to Jordan Hare Stadium and they handle business and they win pretty handedly. Uh, really, it does. It, it's unfortunate because it doesn't really do a whole lot for you. Kentucky really doesn't do a whole lot for Alabama at this point. The only thing it can do is it can hurt you. Uh, but that's part of it. Avoid that. And, you know, get your style points if you can. It, it's strange to think Alabama could win out. They could beat number two Georgia or number one Georgia in the SEC championship. They could be a one-loss SEC champion, and they could still not get in the college football playoff. I know that's a wild situation or a wild scenario. A lot still has to happen in order for that to happen. Uh, and it's like you said, kind of let things play out how they play out. But the next game on the schedule is Kentucky. It is a going to be a difficult game. This is a physical football team. And if Alabama didn't go handle their business, which they're certainly capable of, then it could get, you know, I'm not saying it could get ugly uh, necessarily. I mean, it could, uh, but, you know, I'm not predicting that or anything. But I could see just the combination of factors with the time, the opponent, the, you know, this past weekend's game, all these different things. I could see it being, I, I don't want to call it a letdown game. Uh, maybe a letdown start, maybe a slow start, a sluggish start. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And then maybe you exit that game thinking a little bit differently at Kentucky. But I will say Auburn is going to be a challenge as well. Alabama's still got two challenges left on its schedule. Yeah, that's. I'm not dismissing the challenge that Auburn will be, especially at Jordan-Hare Stadium. I guess I'm also saying I'm not investing much into this narrative that Auburn has dramatically improved. I think the schedule has eased up and credit to Auburn. Uh, the Tigers have taken advantage of it, but I think when these two teams get on the football field together, Alabama will be the better team. And yeah, crazy things have happened down on the plains in the past, as we know. Uh, let's check in with Eric Taylor. He says the Kentucky game has scared him all year, especially now. He thinks Alabama wins. But, man, is it set up as a great trap, the trap game. You know, I, I hear that from the fan perspective and even the media perspective. But Kentucky is 6-3. and three. You know, th- this isn't even a 4-5 a and five or 5-4 five and four team. This is a 6-3 and three team that was, what, top 15 going into the game against Georgia just a month ago? Um, you know, I don't see Alabama winning this game. 63 to three, like it did in 2020. Um, but I, I do think it'll be more so because of how this team has played, Alabama has played throughout the season. I know last week was sort of the, I don't know, aberration, I guess you could say, with how effective they were even in the first half. But my expectation kind of reverts back to what it was before last Saturday that this game will go into the second half. It'll probably be tight after the half. And then I expect Alabama's overall roster and talent to take over and that defense to really exert itself in the second half. 
and Alabama gets out that gets out of there with a two score win. And that's kind of where I'm at. I think of maybe a late score to create some separation. I wouldn't be shocked at all if it was a uh, a stressful, nerve wracking game. You know, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter. Uh, I do think you know Alabama ends up getting it done, and I think I'm right there with you. Uh, I don't have them covering as far as my score prediction. I think I had 30 to 20. And it's an 11 point spread, and that might not make some Alabama fans happy. But like I said, I mean, it does have the makings to, you know, create a little bit of a letdown. I will say, as far as the offense, kind of, I was thinking about it. And one of the things that Kentucky does well is they stop the inside run. And that's something that Alabama really likes to do. In fact, that's kind of what they've, up until recently, they've really want, they've tried to use the inside run to set the tempo of the game and establish themselves as the more physical. Uh, football team uh, hadn't always worked, but that's kind of been at least it's come off like that's been their goal early against Texas. It's like they're kind of running it, they're having some success. You know, Jalen Milrow throws the interception and that changes things, but like there's been several games where they really come out, run a couple of times, and really try to get some things going. Last week against LSU, as bad as LSU is defensively, the way that they played Alabama, as far as their corners being so far off and stuff. One of the elements that Alabama likes to do offensively and what's kind of become part of their offensive identity, especially in the passing game, has been the vertical shots. And that's something that LSU took away. And Milrow was one for six. He didn't have a great performance as far as, you know, passes traveling more than 20 yards down, 20 or more yards downfield. But they found other ways to win. You know, he implemented his legs and was still able to generate a ton of offense, uh, a ton of points, and Alabama was able to roll. So if Kentucky's able to take away the inside run game, uh, how does Alabama counter? Uh, can they go to some different areas to find offensive success and still put up points and do all those things just like they did against LSU? It will be a much tougher environment to do that in. It'll be a much tougher defense to do that against. But if they can get that done, I think that bodes really well because that was one of the elements in the LSU game I found really interesting because at one point in time, we just said, hey, with the way Jalen Milrow wasn't running, if they if a team would have taken away his vertical passing game with the fact that he was struggling on the short to intermediate stuff, the fact that he wasn't really running the football, the fact that the offensive line and the, and the traditional run game with the running backs had not been very consistent as far as being able to get consistent push, I think fans would have been you know really worried about their ability to be able to score points consistently and have consistent offensive success. And in this particular game against LSU last week, Milrow proved that he's capable of doing a little bit more than the entire offense did. And I'll be curious to see if Kentucky's able to stop their inside run game or if Alabama even chooses to, to make that, you know, a, a primary plan going in. Um, I'll be curious to see how they counter and how much success they have. Watching Kentucky defensively, they play zone in the secondary on the back end, but they get downhill against the run with their front seven. So I'm thinking some action off of the run like we saw with maybe number 19 Kendrick Law in the backfield once again and hit Kentucky with some of that earlier and say you better stay home with that off-ball linebacker or we'll run the other way with that scissors action that slice action with the back or receiver out in the flat and we'll get easy touches for explosive plays because I think most people think zone defense and they think oh passive sit back when I've watched Kentucky on early downs, especially, uh, they'll send some guys uh, into some gaps against the run with the anticipation that maybe they can produce some tackles for loss that way. Dexter Wright checking in here. Last year, 
should have taught lessons about just winning out. Well, how, Dexter? What did Alabama win out through? Alabama, after losing to LSU, won out through Auburn. There was no SEC championship game last year to win out. Alabama has that opportunity this year. So that's completely apples to oranges. Talking about winning out last year and winning out this year. Let's check in with Speed RTR again. Should we see any new faces with the position shakeup on defense for the week? Will we see more of jam and justice here onward? What do you think, Clint? I don't think uh, that you that you implement jam into the game plan like they did against LSU, and then with him being the second guy out there and him having you know some specific roles. The fact that he held up pretty well in the pass protection. The fact that he was a uh, you know for the uh, yet another game he was successful running the football. I don't think you see all that, and then you kind of go back to the two man show. Uh, justice is a little bit of a different story. We saw his arm started off with a big brace on it, and then he had to get that brace wrapped at some point. I don't know if that was because it was causing him issues or maybe, you know, there was a sharp edge. I don't know, but it, it ended up looking really bulky. And all, all I was doing after the game when I saw him was thinking to myself, I bet that's really hard to secure a football with that big brace with all that padding and stuff. So my thought process is this guy can still play special teams. Uh, it's really not going to hinder him on that front, but as far as carrying a football or holding a football, uh, you know, uh, he might not be able to do that because you don't want to, even if it's like, okay, it's his left arm, you know, he can just carry it in his right. That's not how that necessarily works. Uh, so you don't want him to be forced to primarily only use one arm when he runs the football. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if he, as long as I don't know what the injury is, but as long as he's got it or he's dealing with it and he's playing through it. I wouldn't be shocked if he's kind of limited to just a special teams role. And then once he gets healthy, however long that takes, fully healthy, um, then you can maybe have, start to have that conversation. But I don't think Jam's going anywhere. Roydell played really well this past Saturday. I thought it was his best performance. Uh, he probably looked maybe even a little bit better against USF. I understand that, you know, defensively, LSU's defense probably isn't that much better than USF's, but. Um, Roy Dell has kind of struggled at times against power five opponents as far as running the football. And I saw him running extremely well. He ran through contact. The vision was there. Uh, everything that you really look for or need. The offensive line was creating holes for him. That's great. Uh, you know, Jace is going to continue to be a part of the backfield, but I think Jam's going to be a part of this equation as well. Yeah, I think you can you can go two to three to four pretty easily because when I look at the rotation right now, I don't see a 250, 300 to carry season type of back. That's that's not Jace to begin with. I don't think physically Jace is built in that way. Jace is a really good back, but he's not 5'10", 5'11", 215, 220, kind of built for that sort of workload. Eventually, the miles on the tires – seemingly catch up with him and understandably so given the position he plays I do like the possibility of Roydell becoming more of a consistent hammer in the second half like we saw against uh, LSU we saw it against USF uh, you mentioned that as well uh, so there are still roles there are still I think opportunities uh, for these guys as the month of November moves along this is the month when running back depth typically reveals itself and Alabama looks to be in a good spot from that perspective. Moon Raka here in the comments. I'm hoping to get some good run blocking and receiving work 
in for the tight ends in this game. Moon Rocka, I think if you like tight ends, this could be the game for you. Both these offenses, Clint, not afraid to run the the tight ends out there on a regular basis. Yeah, and, and, and I think that one thing about this past week's performance, I thought the perimeter blocking was so much better, whether it be coming from the receivers, whether it be, you know, Robbie Utes getting out there in space, his his background kind of as an H-back, fullback, uh, very good as far as, you know, playing off the ball, not needing to be an inline blocker. That's not really what, even though he's a big guy, and I think he can do that to a certain extent, I think putting him in space and letting him get guys blocked in space is really where he thrives. Uh, Amari Nablack, his role, uh, you could tell early on that they wanted to get him the football in that LSU game. Uh, there was one target where, you know, uh, Jalen pretty much nose dived it. I think, you know, he was definitely under pressure, but couldn't get it to Amari on that one. You had the vertical throw where Nablack had, you know, gotten separation downfield, wasn't able to hit that deep shot to him. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked at all if this ended up being the type of game where maybe they tried to get the black back involved in the passing game. Cause now he's got one catch for, I think five yards over the last two weeks. And one thing about Alabama is it seems like that just when you think somebody's sort of starting to get phased out a little bit, here they come, you know, Kendrick uh, law was certainly one of those guys where it's like, we thought this guy was going to have a huge role based off the spring and, and just, you know, he had been doing some really good things. He brought that physicality. And then, you know, he, he's playing a little bit, 15, 20 snaps a game. And then he kind of gets phased out for a while. Kobe Prentice was very involved early on as far as his, his like uh, target per snap rate was through the roof. Then he starts to disappear for a couple of weeks. And I think it's Amari the Black's turn. Um, you know, so I wouldn't be shocked at all if, uh, if you ended up seeing him have a pretty good game on Saturday. Tried to hook up with him on a deep ball last week. Had him lined up in line and uh, in a game in which LSU obviously did not want to give up much in terms of down the field passing. Had an opportunity, just missed him. But uh, yeah, good to see those tight ends involved. Uh, maybe you work them underneath this week too if you're getting a lot of that zone coverage. Saw that early in the game last week with C.J. Dupree on a third down conversion on Alabama's opening possession. I'll tell you what, Clint, some of these folks, and we love them, don't get me wrong, uh, some of our viewers, they're like two or three weeks ahead of me in terms of how everything's <laughs> going to play out. Can some of y'all get me some? Uh, I need Powerball numbers. If y'all got all this figured out already, I need some Powerball numbers. I wonder if are, are any of these people miss Terry. Has she got some <laughs> – she got some – uh what do they call it? I, f I forget what they call the fake account. The second the burner account. The burner. They, yeah, yeah, she might. She might have a couple. I mean, I get it though. I, oh, yeah. I don't. I don't necessarily blame anybody. But why do you I, think we have a weekly ranking in a television show that goes with it? I mean, good point. Yeah, it, it, it's because there's interest, and it only creates more interest. Which doing what we do. We absolutely love that. And people have come off a pretty big high, too, as far as you got Tennessee, you got LSU, two top yeah. 20 opponents, the stadium. I don't know what it is about these close games, Travis, but uh, this entire season, I, I have I can't remember the last time I've witnessed Bryant-Denny Stadium being that electric, you know, two consecutive games. And so yeah. props to the fans for that, for sure. But, you know, there's a lot of excitement going on for, you know, as far as it, and I get it, um, but now that you've gone two weeks and you've had those exciting games, in a lot of people's minds, it's like, I want another, you know, top 20 opponent, uh, yeah. you know, at 230 or at six or whatever. 
And Kentucky's still a good football team, so you can't overlook them. Garrison Blaylock says, I think part of the reason we have so many undefeateds and one-loss teams late in the year, FSU, Washington, Oregon, Texas, all have transfer quarterbacks. No way those teams would be above us without those quarterbacks. I don't know about the transfer part of it. I do know that with the COVID year, it seems like we have about 47 college quarterbacks who are 37 years old. You know, I thought we had maybe moved past it last year with Stetson Bennett. You know, Hendon Hooker was like 38 last year, and we're not. JT Daniels. Are they ever going to leave? Are all these quarterbacks that are in like their sixth or eighth or ninth year of eligibility, when do they finally leave college football? Is it is it the next year or two? I mean, <laughs> no, they'll find some guys, eligibility. Yeah. You know, uh, if Hunter Renfro had to leave, everybody's got to leave eventually. <laughs> uh, but I, as far no as the transfer out alive, yeah. as far as the transfer quarterbacks, part of me kind of wonders. There was so much turnover as far as the transfer portal and, you know, the quarterback position in the SEC early in the year was really down. And everybody talks about how much the SEC really struggled early in the year versus uh, out-of-conference opponents and how that's going to affect them. You know, the SEC shouldn't be this automatic lock, whoever wins the SEC, because the SEC isn't what it's been in the past. You know, I think as the quarterback play has improved and guys have gotten more comfortable in their their environments, whether it be a new starter stepping up like Jalen Milrow or some transfer portal guys coming in, you know, I think that the quarterback play as of late in the SEC has been a lot better, which has really improved things because all we, we knew all these other teams, they had all the other stuff. It's just, you know, if you ain't got a quarterback, there's only really so much you can do. And, you know, you got new coordinators coming in. So I think the SEC right now is in a much healthier place as far as the portal. And, or as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, then maybe they weren't early in the year. Kelvin Williams checking in here in the comments. Bama needs to set aside the modesty and play to blow out 70-plus to make an I statement this week. Well, Kelvin, I guess there wasn't much modesty back in 2020 because Alabama put 63. If they can do it, Kentucky. do it. And in three games against Mark Stoops coached Kentucky teams, the average score has been Alabama 48, Kentucky 6. So I don't think it's been a modesty issue with this team. I think it's been sort of a consistency issue. Maybe they've turned a corner in that regard, Clint, after the second half against Tennessee and how it played into LSU. I'm still maybe more in the corner of I want to see it more on the road this week before I'm fully in on that regard. But I don't think there's any doubt. Alabama has the capability to win this game in commanding fashion. I, I just don't know if 70s in the picture this week. Yeah, um, I will say, uh, I, I really, I said that the only thing that this weekend can really happen is hurt Alabama. I don't think it can help them a whole lot. If they hang 70 on the road against Kentucky, I, I would probably take back that statement because that would be very impressive. But I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I understand there's a lot to be excited about with the LSU game. But that defense and just the, the, you could tell from the jump how they were playing Alabama this offense. I mean, they were conceding so much just right out of the gate and it limited how ugly they weren't going to let, you know, what Tennessee did to Alabama last year happen where Jalen Hyatt goes for 200 plus yards, scores five touchdowns and like three or four of them are like 40 plus yard bombs because uh, that, that's ugly. And then they didn't want to. That's embarrassing, I guess, is the way to put it. Um, but. 
as impressive as Alabama was this past weekend, I don't want people to get too overly optimistic. I'm not saying that it's going to regress at all. I think the number one thing to pay attention to is I don't think the I don't think the play calling is going anywhere. All the variety, the new wrinkles that they've been continuously adding, and I think that's certainly going to help. But as far as being able to have their their this is not a Bryce Young-led offense all of a sudden where every time they touch the field, they can pretty much score at will on whoever they want to. Uh, I just think that adding the different wrinkles and making teams or defenses prepare for more on a week-in, week-out basis, that's going to make Alabama a much more consistent offense. They're going to be able to score more points. I don't think you got to live in the mid-20s anymore necessarily, uh, even though I wouldn't be shocked if they were somewhere in that range this weekend. But uh, you know, I, I just don't want people to get carried away with it and think, that all of a sudden they're going to be a dynamic offense that really can't be stopped because there, there's still some work that needs to be good, done on that front. But if they can somehow manage to put up that kind of performance that they did last week on the road against this Kentucky defense, which is pretty respectable, uh, I'll be seeing a different team. Yeah, I think patience early is going to be key. But when I say that, I, I don't mean don't incorporate the different things that we've seen over these last couple of games, like opening the game with Kendrick Law lined up in the backfield and then coming back to that pretty quickly to get him an easy touch for an explosive play. Um, you can be patient while also employing variety on offense, and it doesn't have to entail taking shots. You know, if Kentucky's going to play kind of a cover two or even into a cover four, you don't have to take deep shots from the opening snap. You can you can do some things in the flats and underneath that, that can prove very uh, effective for you offensively. So uh, just a couple of different ways that we'll be watching this game. I know this weekend, Clint, and man, it's about the fastest hour in Alabama sports Thursday night tide. We're just about done here. It's It's been fun. Uh, yeah, anytime I do this with Jimmy or whoever else, we hop on here and next thing you know, and we talk all the time. We could talk about this stuff for three hours, but at some point you got to call it quits. And I will say this has been a good time. And I'm glad that we've had all the uh, contributions from the listeners because the, those questions are so I always wonder what other people want to talk about. And these guys always bring it. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Very much appreciate our viewers and contributors here on the program makes it a lot of fun, no doubt about that. So for Clint Lamb, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us here on Thursday Night Tide. Be sure to hang out with us at BamaOnline.com, the roundtable, our premium message board. That's where you want to post up. That's where you're going to learn everything first as it happens involving the Alabama Crimson Tide. We got Alabama men's basketball coming up on Friday night as well. Alabama, Kentucky on Saturday. So Full weekend playing for you right there with us at BamaOnline.com. Thanks again. And for Clint, Travis Schreier, till next time, so long, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.